So this is Ruth 1. I'll be reading up to verse 10, and then my dad will finish the um, chapter even. And it's on page 267. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard Moab that heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, if you have shown kindness to your dear husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitterful. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Uh, 
Uh, if you'd like to keep that open, um, whether on the sheet or in the Bible, that'd be very helpful. And I will make a couple of references to the actual, uh, the wider context in the Bible. If you want to open up at page 266 or so, uh, that'd be great. We're starting, as <clears throat> has been alluded to by Ali and Simon, a new four-week series uh, before Advent. Uh, in the Old Testament, we've just done a, a New Testament series with Hebrews 12 and 13 in the evening services, so it's good to go back to the Old Testament now before Advent and Christmas. And we are at Ruth. We've done, we did Judges relatively recently, and now we're doing the next book in the series, Ruth. Uh, this is a very key book for us, a hinge book between the prehistory, really, of Israel and the time of the kings. And uh, we leave off at the end of uh, the previous book with the ominous notes that uh, there weren't any kings, there weren't any leaders in Israel. And we end the book of Ruth with the name David. Uh, If you want to flick forward to the end of uh, the book, you'll see that literally the last word in the book is David. Uh, We end with him, who is going to be uh, the second king of the United Kingdom of Israel. But this book is not just one about Old Testament politics. Don't worry about that if that was uh, a rising concern in your heart. It's also one about small-scale personal decisions with big impacts. It's about, in effect, uh, the sort of spiritual butterfly effect uh, that can arise out of small, faithful decisions having huge uh, impacts across the world. Um, Not all of our small decisions like that that Ruth made that we're about to see in this passage ended up with a king of Israel, uh, an iconic king of Israel at that, Um, but they will often have bigger effects than we might imagine. It was the 1972 talk at the American Scientific Association by the meteorologist Edward Lawrence um, where the butterfly effect was first described. That's the idea that a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil and it ends up with a tornado in Europe. Um, small changes in the world can lead to huge un- unforeseen effects. And he was the first person to prove that with the aid of a computer, uh, showing that uh, small changes in meteorological conditions can lead to massive impacts down the road. And um, The book of Ruth is a little bit like a spiritual version of that, where a small step of faithfulness by Ruth leads to big impacts down the road. We might not think our own actions matter in that way, but hopefully as we consider it, as we look through this book in the next four weeks, we might reconsider. We might reconsider the question of what difference does it make if I do this or that? Why does it matter whether I do right or wrong? Who on earth is going to see uh, the unseen actions that I take? But the reality is that small acts of kindness, which might be inconvenient for us, but do a great deal for others, acts of faith uh, against the odds of what might seem sane, resistances to temptation in in life, can lead to a thunderstorm of glory to God in the end. Now, the setting of Ruth's little butterfly flap of faithfulness was one of tragedy. Tragedy politically, tragedy environmentally, and tragedy 
personally. Take a look at verse 1 of our reading again. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. When the judges ruled, well, that's uh, key for us. Immediately in our minds, we think judges, we think chaos and disorder, as we've been seeing in the series that we had here at church recently. Escalating cycles of chaos, followed by repentance and new leadership, and then further chaos. So when we read that it was the time of the judges when Ruth was around, we know that she was living in tumultuous times for Israel. But then, on top of that, there was a famine. In a time when most people were subsistence farmers, living off the land, uh, making ends meet on their own little small holdings, famine was disaster. No canned or dried food to fall back on, no UN food aid program, no global markets to resist the impact of one localised warfare or disaster. And on top of political uh, disaster, ecological disaster, there's also personal tragedy at the beginning of this story to set up uh, what's going on as well. So from verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left. So tragedy upon tragedy at the beginning of this book. Rather like Job, whose life just seems to go from bad to worse at the beginning of his story. Just imagine, if you can, Naomi's situation at the start of this book of Ruth. She starts off... Uh, in a reasonable situation with husband and two sons living in Israel, uh, albeit with this cycle of disaster going on around her politically, although maybe it's a little bit of a remove away from Bethlehem where she lives. But famine comes to her, and that comes right to the doorstep, affecting her livelihood, that of her husband and family. The animals starve, maybe they eat them, And then they start to starve as well, and they get desperate, and they have to consider radical options. The radical option of becoming a refugee away from Israel in a foreign land. So they head off down to Moab, the long road round the Dead Sea, down to that foreign country. And there, tragedy again, her husband dies. Husband, at that time, being the source of safety and protection, much more so than in the 20th and 21st centuries with uh, the advent of uh, women's rights, independence of husbands. So Naomi is left in a very difficult situation, albeit still with two sons to look after her. And they do get married, but to foreign women. So goodness knows where they'll be led by the foreign women, Naomi perhaps thinks to herself. And they spend 10 years there, 10 years in the land of Moab. One of uh, my favourite films is called Seven Years in Tibet, 
about two German, well, Austrians actually, who get trapped in Tibet, a remote mountainous region, uh, by the events of the Second World War. And they have to spend seven years there. And during that time, they sort of go native. One of them marries a local woman, much as one of, uh, both of Naomi's sons did in Moab. It was pretty tough for those two Austrians to spend seven years in Tibet, and no doubt very tough for Naomi and her sons to spend ten years in Moab, another remote mountainous region away from their homeland. But it gets even worse for Naomi, because as we read in verse 5, her sons also die, Malon and Kilian. And so she's just left with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. Until recently, we might have said, this is a situation to us of unimaginable suffering. We just couldn't get our heads around how uh, awful this situation would be in the present day. Uh, Sadly, that might have been somewhat dented by the war in Ukraine, when actually this sort of situation might have become rather more imaginable to us, as Many of us do know uh, widows who have been alienated from their homelands, forced to migrate elsewhere by events going on around them, political disaster, experiencing personal disaster as they lose family members. And yet still, Naomi's situation is a long remove from most of our personal situations and ability to comprehend. So much of her world has fallen apart around her. But then there is a small amount of good news in verse 6. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. After 10 years, it seems the famine was slightly alleviated, perhaps lifted. And she thinks, maybe I could return now. Maybe I could go back to my people. And so she does set out a little party of three of them, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, heading off uh, back north through Moab towards Israel. But halfway through the journey, perhaps at the border as they come towards the edge of Moab, Naomi says to them, go back. Verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And so we come to the climax of the chapter. Those opening verses setting the scene for what now in these verses in the middle, verses 8 to 18, are really the heart of the drama in chapter 1 of Ruth. This dramatic interaction between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law about them heading back to Moab rather than coming with her into Israel. Three times Naomi pleads with her daughters-in-law, go back. So we've seen already, verse 8, she says, go back. Again, verse 12, she says, return home. And then again in verse 15, at the end of that verse, she says, go back. Go back, return, go back. Don't come with me into Israel. Go back to your own homeland, to Moab. No doubt reasoning in her own heart, what is there for these daughters of, daughters-in-law in Israel with me? a destitute mother-in-law, estrangement from their own blood family, permanent alienation from the society around them, permanent widowhood. 
There's nothing for them with me in Israel. They'd be so much better off if they went back, they turned back, they returned to their own people in Moab. She reasons that's the best chance of their happiness because that's the best chance of them getting husbands. She says in verse 9, return to your mother's homes in order that you might get husbands there. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. How does she get on with these three attempts to persuade her daughter-in-law to go back? Well, she's not entirely successful. At the first attempt, she encounters resistance. So verse 10, the daughters-in-law both say, we will go back with you to your people. At the second attempt, she gets a a 50% success rate. Verse 14, uh, the daughters wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. So 50-50. But then the third attempt, she says again to Ruth, go back in verse 15. But that third attempt meets with no further progress. So verse 16, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. And then we come to perhaps the key verses of this passage. If you wanted a memory verse from this passage, the second half of Ruth's response to Naomi here at the end of uh, verse 16 and verse 17. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And at that, Naomi gives up. Verse 18, when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Rather like a sort of reverse Liz Warren, she did not persist at this point. Uh, Ruth, rather, was the one who did persist. She is the kind of uh, 1100 BC Samwise Gamgee, saying, no, I am going to go on with you to Mordor. I'm going to keep coming, uh, no matter what you say. We've got to the border of the Shire, the border of my homeland. This is as far as I've ever been before, but I'm going to keep going with you. We've got to the Council of Elrond saying, there's going to be a dangerous journey for this fellowship, but I'm going to come with you. I'm going to come with you into this dangerous place. He even gets to the Agonath and the beginning of the desolate lands towards Mordor and says, oh, no, I'm still going to come with you. I'm still going to come across the border and persist with you. Why? Why was she so determined to come with her mother-in-law on this dangerous journey into an unknown land for her, to an unknown people with an unknown fate ahead of her? It seems for two reasons, because of the kindness in her heart towards Naomi and the faithfulness in her heart towards Naomi's God. What of her kindness, first of all? Well, we see a hint of that kindness in verse 8 of the reading. Naomi said to her daughters, Go back each of you to mother's house. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Naomi might have been apprehensive about her sons marrying Moabite women, but evidently those two Moabite women turned out to be rather good eggs, and they actually showed quite considerable kindness 
to Naomi's family in a strange land in Moab. And then we also read of Ruth's kindness later on in the book, uh, which we'll come to in chapter 2. And she is commended for her kindness to Naomi by Boaz. Ruth was no doubt conscious that Naomi is entirely on her own, having had her husband die, her two sons die, having been away from her people for 10 years now. She's going back uh, to her own land, but under very difficult circumstances, and she has compassion on her. Naomi's going back against very long odds to a very uncertain future, and Ruth shows wonderful kindness to her, despite the effect on her own security of leaving her own land of Moab, despite the sister-in-law turning back, or perhaps because of the sister-in-law turning back, perhaps partly it was because the other daughter-in-law did turn back that Ruth felt a further obligation to show kindness to Naomi. She needed her even more. It's uh, certainly uh, a wonderful symbol of compassion that we have here in Ruth. And it does beg the question of our own compassion as well. What compassion do we have on those in need? What acts of kindness can we show? Very few of us will ever be in the exact position of Ruth, uh, accompanying a mother-in-law back into a foreign land. But most of us will find ourselves in equivalent positions roughly equivalent at some point or various points in our lives, going out of our way to show acts of kindness to those in obvious need who we can help. It's been uh, wonderful in our home group this week to be able to give lifts to various people, uh, both to hospital and to the airport, and to have uh, many in our home group dig in, pitch in with giving lifts in those different capacities, little acts of kindness to help out those in need. And there's all sorts of other ways, practically, we can help and show kindness, whether sending a card in a time of grief or um, bringing a home bake or a meal in a time of stress for a family or giving death advice in a time of financial straightness to somebody or helping with a house move uh, at that very stressful point in anybody's life. There is an ocean of need out there. This morning's sermon, we were thinking about sort of uh, summary commandments to love one another. And there is, again, an ocean of love that we can show to one another, an ocean that we simply cannot fill if we think about it. I'm very conscious of the many acts of kindness I could have shown that I have not shown. And my my own failure to fulfill the law of love. It's when we consider that world of need, and as well as our own generosity in the past, also our own selfishness in the past, that we need to turn to Jesus again for forgiveness. In that respect, it's very important to consider not only the kindness that Ruth shows here to Naomi, but also the faithfulness that she shows to Naomi's God. It's not simply uh, a social, moral lesson that Ruth chapter 1 has for us, but also a spiritual one. The commitment that is made by Ruth in verse 16 has a very clear spiritual dimension to it. 
Ruth replied to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. This wasn't just any people that Ruth was committing to go to, to go back to. It was God's people. It wasn't any God she was deciding to uh, show allegiance to by going into his land, but the Lord God, the living God of Israel. So there's a clear theological dimension to Ruth's choice here to go with her mother-in-law into Israel. Saying no, not just to Moab, but to Moab's gods as well. Moab being a, a polytheistic state. And saying not yes, not just to Israel, where her mother-in-law was going, but also to Israel's God, to Yahweh. And moreover, it wasn't just a temporary choice. It wasn't just a, oh, for the next few years, I'll I'll settle my mother-in-law down back in her homeland. No, she says in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is a lifetime commitment that Ruth makes to Israel and to the Lord God. This, in some ways, is also the decision that all Christians make. All of us, unless we do have Jewish heritage on our mother's side, are Gentiles, like Ruth, coming from Moab, coming from outside ethnic Israel. The gospel invitation to us is to be grafted into Israel. The Apostle Paul writes poetically of Israel in the New Testament, that to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and to them was promised the Christ who is blessed forever. It's into that nation that Ruth chooses to go, into that nation that we have the invitation to enter as well through Christ. If we wish to share in the peace that God offers, we are to come into his nation. Jesus has broken down the divide that once stood between Jew and Gentile, that all may come in. And Ruth is a small Old Testament picture of this. And just to ensure that we're not misunderstanding, uh, I'm certainly not saying that all people simply through being ethnically Jewish today are therefore part of God's people. Many have said no to the revelation of the Christ who was promised to them, sadly, and they need to be grafted back into their own olive tree, again, to use the language of Paul in Romans. For Ruth, though, it was much harder than it is for us. She didn't know anything of many of the promises that we today can stand on. She was having to not only put her faith in the Lord, but also to literally uproot her life and move to a new country. Whereas we can very much retain our nationhood and yet come to Christ. We don't have to enter into the land of Israel as she did or become a part of the nation of Israel in quite the same way that she did. So she is something of a hero of faith in that respect in the amount she gave up in order to stand with her mother-in-law and to enter into the promises of the Lord God. 
Perhaps the sons of Korah had Ruth in mind when they penned Psalm 87, uh, which I did have marked in my Bible until I pulled a piece of paper out. But I wonder if we could turn to Psalm 87 and just consider these words with Ruth in mind. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Ruth's commitment was that she would die in Israel. And it is, in a sense, as if she was therefore born there, being counted among the people. For us, our faith in Christ, our decision to follow him, our decision to die with him, in the way that, in a sense, Ruth was going to die with Naomi, means it is as if we were born in his city, in the city that he loves, in Zion, the one he has founded on his holy mountain. We might not face the difficulty that Ruth faced, but we still face challenges when we decide to make that crossing, when we decide to join with Christ in his death, more exposed to ridicule in the world, fitting in less with the crowd around us, in many cases for Christians around the world, facing economic marginalisation and exclusion from plenty of lines of work. A key concern, a friend of mine when I lived in London, was that he was able to uh, have a smaller pool of people to go out with uh, because he was under obligation as a Christian only to um, seek a life partner amongst those who were themselves also Christians. Well, 2 Timothy says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. We can be sure that whatever it looks like, we will face difficulty for making that decision as Ruth did. But she trusted in God. And we, all the more reason, have to trust in him to take the step out of Moab and into Israel. Ruth's very small step of faith led to a huge amount of change for her, but also led to great ripples, uh, meteorologically, spiritually, uh, down the years through David and beyond. She changed the world by her small act of faithfulness, as we'll see later in this book. As I said at the beginning, not all of us are Ruth. Not all of us will have that sort of impact. But we do all have the same choice. Stay in Moab or enter Israel. Stay in the world or join with Christ. May we all say... With Ruth, words of verse 16. 
Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And we have a a moment to make that commitment again, afresh, as we join at the Lord's table for communion in a moment. But for now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this story of Ruth. Thank you for the stand that she took in that moment of decision. A stand of kindness, a stand of faithfulness to you. Help us as we face similar moments of decision to show the same kindness, the same faithfulness, for Jesus' sake. Amen.